Uh, I wanted to say again, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there, all the father figures out there. Uh, my name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, and Pastor Matt is with his family. He is uh, in South Africa, and he'll be there for the next few weeks. And so he has given me uh, the opportunity to be with you here up front uh, for the next couple weeks, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Because he gave me the opportunity, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he gave me the opportunity to pick what I wanted to talk on. He didn't give me the passage itself, and so you all are not at the mercy of what what I was interested in or wanted to talk about, but in some ways you were. Uh, I, I I'm really excited about the next four weeks uh, because we're going to be jumping into a completely different book uh, and a completely different topic that we've been talking about for the last few months. Uh, Pastor Matt has, has led us through the book of Acts uh, for the last seven weeks, talking about what happened with Jesus' disciples after he ascended into heaven. Uh, and we are going from the New Testament way back into the Old Testament. Uh, and specifically, we're going to be looking at a book that some of you might be familiar with, but some of you might know nothing about, uh, and that's a book called Ecclesiastes, which is just a fancy word translated a couple times. It just means teachings. Uh, don't be intimidated by the word. Ecclesiastes just means teachings. And this book uh, is a book in the Bible that is in a category of other books that we would call the wisdom literature. So a quick review for some of you. The Bible is one book, uh, but it is made up of 66 individual books. Uh, and in those 66 books, there are different genres of book. Some of them are history. Uh, you learn about people and kings, and you learn about countries and what people did and what happened. Uh, some of these books are letters most of the New Testament is letters written from a person to a church, telling the church, here's how you should be acting, here's what you should be doing, here are some of the ways I want to encourage you. And then some of the books are these wisdom books, uh, books like Proverbs, books like Psalms, uh, and Song of Solomon, and this book, Ecclesiastes. And so what this book does is, it, is, is it's more kind of philosophical. Uh, it's kind of trying to answer some of the questions we have about life, uh, some of the questions we have about meaning and purpose and where we find satisfaction in life. And what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is it goes right into it. What is our purpose? Where do we find meaning? Where do we find satisfaction in this earth? Ecclesiastes also does it in a weird way. Instead of saying, here's where it is, here's where you find satisfaction, instead, it kind of goes backwards. It, it takes on the role and goes, the author goes, you know, I tried to live a good life. I tried to find purpose and meaning in life, and here are a bunch of places that I did not find it. Here are a bunch of things I tried, a bunch of ways I tried to live that did not work. Uh, and so it might sound a little uh, negative 
at first, but I want you to bear with me because these first three weeks of the series, we're going to be talking about some of these ways the author says do not work. Some of the places we try to find meaning in life that you will not find it. Uh, Some of the things we pursue that he says in the end are a waste of time. Uh, And at the end, uh, we'll bring you to at least one of the conclusions that the author comes to. This book doesn't answer all the questions. It asks a lot of questions, a lot of good questions, a lot of questions I'm asking myself, and I think a lot of questions you all are asking yourself. And I think it offers some good wisdom, and so I'm excited to go through it with you. Back when I was in college, uh, I was a part of a, a, a small group, uh, and we met every Sunday night, and we studied the Bible, and different people would take turns leading each night. And one, one time in particular, I remember we got to talking about our fears. You know, what, what really, you know, scares us? And we weren't talking about, like, spiders or snakes uh, or anything like that. We were talking more about, like, existentially, what What are the things that actually terrify you? Uh, What are things you're afraid of? And one of the things I remember saying, and we talked about this, is I am afraid that I will will reach the end of my life. I will be on my deathbed knowing that my time is short. And I will look back on my life and realize that I wasted it. I still have that fear today that I will come to the end, I will look back at everything I've done, how I spent my time, all of the things I pursued, and I will just be full of regret. And that terrifies me. And I don't know about you, but I know you're human, uh, and so I know that I am not the only one that has that fear. That every single one of us in here are trying to figure out what is my purpose? What is the meaning of life? How am I supposed to spend my time? What are the things I am supposed to be pursuing? And I hate to break it to you, but I think more often than not, we pursue the wrong things. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes addresses, or at least one of the things it addresses. And so with that in mind, I want to read just the beginning of this book. It's not a terribly long book. It's 12 chapters, but this is how the book starts. And uh, let's just say the author comes out swinging. So it starts with a a kind of a title, The Words of the Teacher. This is verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And then verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 
Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That's heavy. There are two things in this, in this passage that I think are crucial to understanding what he is saying. The first is this phrase, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. If you take it at face value, it's pretty depressing. But I don't think we should. I think he is trying to say something different. This word meaningless comes to us from a Hebrew word, hevel. Hevel. Other translations in the Bible sometimes say vanity, of vanities, everything is vanity. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message uses the translation pointless. It's all pointless. Uh, other ways this word is used in the Bible is maybe, uh, it, literally, it's, it's to, to describe vapor or a mist or a smoke. And I believe the way the author is using it right now is think of it as like an exercise in futility. Uh, think of it like this. If you've ever blown out a candle and the stream of smoke comes up from the candle, when he is saying this, Hevel, it is, it is similar to us trying to grab that smoke, trying to grab hold and take hold of that smoke coming from the candle and realizing when you open your hand that you have nothing in your hand. Here in the Bay Area, it's very, uh, you get fog out sometimes. It's like reaching out your window and trying to take hold of the fog and wondering why when I open my hand that there is nothing inside. When he says meaningless, he is saying these things are absurd. It is ridiculous to try to think that you can grab hold of this and actually grab anything. I have a video that I wanna show you that I think illustrates this really well of a child doing something that I would call an exercise in futility. Go ahead and show uh, this clip. He's trying to scoop a shell into the bucket, but that shell is from a light above him, and he has no idea. He can scoop for days. He can be there for a thousand years scooping that sand into that bucket and that shell is never going into that bucket. And I think it's funny to watch a little kid like that, but I think if we actually looked at the things we are trying to do, uh, the ways we're trying to find meaning, the things we're holding on to, we're no better than that kid. First piece, understand what he means by meaningless. It's an exercise in futility, it's absurd trying to take hold of something you cannot take hold. Another way the author uses it later is he calls it a chasing after the wind. The second thing that is important to understanding this passage, first of all, it's meaningless. But what is meaningless? And a key to understanding this is that phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. He says it a couple times here in the beginning, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And again, he says it in nine, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again, there is nothing new under the sun. This phrase, under the sun, 
many scholars believe is talking specifically about this world, about the material, uh, about the things we can see, the things we can touch. You'll notice in the passage, often he's talking about streams. Uh, He's talking about physical things like the sun. He's talking about eating. He's talking about seeing things. And what he is trying to say is that those things, if you are trying to find meaning, if you are trying to find purpose, if you are trying to find satisfaction only in those things, you're no better than that kid scooping that shell into that bucket. We live in Silicon Valley, though. And Silicon Valley is kind of the the hot spot for a a type of worldview that uh, I'm going to call secular humanism. Uh, And secular humanism is just a a worldview or philosophy that says, you know, the the ultimate purpose of why we're here is, is for the good of humanity. Whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me feel fulfilled, those things are good. And specifically, secular humanism says, I can do all those things without God. A lot of people believe this. A lot of people believe that if I just put my head down, if I just earn enough, if I just work hard enough, if I just gain enough or have this or do this, that will be enough for me. And what this author says, right here in the book of Ecclesiastes, is he says it's pointless. It's pointless. You can't do it. Listen to what he says as the passage continues. He says in verse 12, this is right after what I just read, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. That's another phrase, under the heavens or under the sun. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There are two ways to view this world. I'm, I'm simplifying a lot, but there are two, basically two ways to, to, to view this world and to figure out where we come meaning. Either all we see is all there is, or there's something more. There's something bigger. There's something going on that we can't see or touch or feel. There's something going on that isn't the material or the world. There's something going on that is much bigger than even you or I could even imagine. And so there are a couple ways of seeing the world and how things work. You can look at it and say, yes, it's all atoms and molecules and randomness and chance, or you could say that there is something bigger going on. There is some type of purpose. There is something within my heart that says this is not all there is. And I want to share a couple stories with you And I think the way you react to these stories uh, is is a little bit of a tell to which side you lean on because I think even though we're here in church, gosh, a lot of the stuff in the world looks really good. Uh, And I think we're constantly tempted uh, to think that we don't need God in any of it. But let me share a couple stories with you. 
The first is a little bit in history. It's from a guy named St. Francis uh, of Assisi. Uh, many of you might have heard of this guy. St. Francis of Assisi lived around the year 1200. And he was the son of a wealthy silk merchant. So he had a lot of, growing up, he had a lot. And St. Francis of Assisi went through an interesting conversion where a story goes that one day he was out selling uh, some materials for his father and he came across a beggar, someone who was poor on the side of the street asking for alms. And it says what he did is he went and did all the business that he was supposed to do in this town. He sold all of the things his father had gave him. He went back to the beggar and gave him everything. Not just emptied his pockets and gave him what he had on him. He had just done business. He gave him everything. The, the profits of all the things he had sold. Much to the frustration of his father. Later, he had other encounters with beggars where he ended up joining them. Eventually, he completely rejected materialism. He completely disregarded and, and, and went to the other, went the other direction from following his father, from taking over what he was doing, and ended up devoting himself to God. Ended up spending some time rebuilding this chapel that was important to him, completely going in the opposite direction. Now, I think there's two ways to respond to that story. Some of you might go, that guy is an idiot. It doesn't make sense. Why would anybody give those things up? Why would anybody do that? But I think there's others of us, and I'm in this boat, that goes, something happened to Francis. Something happened in that guy's heart. Something happened that spoke to him on a much, much deeper level than anything he had ever encountered before, and that something was so powerful that he gave his entire life to pursue it. You see, the Bible is clear all throughout. It, it warns us of this, of this materialism. It warns us. Listen to some of these passages. Jesus warns his disciples and says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Even he recognizes it's possible to gain everything that you see and still miss the entire point. The book of Psalms has 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 these, these lines of poetry that talk about what God has created, it speaks, not of itself, but it speaks to something greater. It speaks to God. It says the skies and the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night they pour forth speech. Day and night they point to something greater than themselves. The book of Romans in the Bible says that in creation we can see all that God has made and because we see all that God has made, none of us are without excuse because all that is created doesn't just proclaim itself, but it points to something greater. And I think St. Francis felt that. Another story. Uh, this is about a woman who I don't know that any of you will recognize, but her name is Dolores Hart. Dolores Hart, in the 1950s, when she was 24, starred in a movie as the love interest of Elvis Presley. She was his first on-screen kiss, and she went later the next year to star in another movie with Elvis. 
She was 24 at the time, and her career was just getting started. And in the middle of that success, she had, she had visited at one point in time this, this, this convent of nuns. And as she, was, as she was continuing in these pictures, as she was even engaged at one point, she felt this call, this constant desire, something was pulling her back to this convent. And she left all of it. She left everything she had. She left the prospect of a future where all of you know her name. She left all of it to live a life of poverty devoted to prayer and devoted to God. And again, I think you can go, what an idiot. Why would anybody give those things up? But I know that there is a part of all of you. I know there is something inside of you that goes, something greater was calling to her. She experienced something. Something that filled that desire within her. Something that would bring her more meaning. Something was calling out to her. And Man, I really would love to know what that is and I would really love to experience that for myself. I think if we look around the world, if we look at all there is, I think it's obvious, but others don't. That, that, that the things of this world, the things that we see, the things that we can touch, in and of themselves are amazing, but they point to something greater. They point to someone greater. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is pushing us to do is to realize that if we think we're going to find ultimate meaning if we think we're going to find our ultimate satisfaction, if we think we are going to find our purpose and fulfillment in the things of this earth, it's a chasing after the wind. I want to share half of another story with you uh, because I'm also going to give you homework uh, this week. Uh, this story um, is from a movie uh, and it's a modern movie. This is a fictional movie uh, on Disney Plus called Soul. Um, I think many of you have seen this movie. If you have not, this is a spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil this movie over the next couple weeks. Um, and so please either watch it or just know I'm going to ruin this movie for you, at least any surprise. This movie is about a guy named Joe. Uh, and in this movie, Joe's sole purpose and the main thing he's trying to do is to pursue his dream, which is to play jazz. And what we are going to see, if you watch this movie and if you come in the next weeks, we're going to pick apart some of the things he does because the mistakes he makes in this movie are the same mistakes we all make. You see, unlike the two stories I just told you, St. Francis and Dolores Hart, who who saw the writing on the wall and left and made a 180-degree turn, unlike those two stories, Joe doesn't do that in this movie. He doesn't leave the dream. He goes after it, and he goes after it hard. And I just want to leave it there because I want you to watch the movie. Watch it again. Please watch it again. There is all kinds of things in this movie about the afterlife, all right? This movie is not about the afterlife, all right? They use a lot of uh, imagery and a lot of metaphors. This movie is about life here on earth. 
And it's about the things we pursue here on this earth. It's about the mistakes we make here on this earth. So don't think DJ sent you back to watch a movie about heaven and it's a really weird depiction of heaven. Don't do that, okay? Think about Joe. Think about the things he's pursuing and, and what happens when he gets there. Because he reaches it. That's your homework, okay? Come back next week. We're gonna dissect a little bit the movie Soul. Um, we're also going to be continue looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, I just wanna leave you with this. I, I want to keep it short today because I don't think it's a complicated message. If this is all there is, gosh, what a depressing existence that would be. If this is all there is, then there's no hope. You see, many of us have spent a lot of time uh, pursuing the things of this world. Um, and if you have spent your entire life pursuing these things under the sun, I think the book of Ecclesiastes can be a little bit of a bummer for you because it tells you everything you've pursued is meaningless in the end. But for those of us who don't feel, uh, feel like we still had a lot of work to do, um, for those of us who felt like there was still a lot of progress I wanted to make, still a lot of accomplishments I wanted to do before I die, um, I hope this book is is freeing. Don't pursue those things. Don't long after those things. You don't have to do it. All of us here are in different places. Um, as far as God, some of us are questioning, some of us are incredibly sure. I just want you to know, it's a reminder for some, but I think it's an important message for others. This world is not all there is. You were created by a God who loves you, a God who is a good, good father, a God who does not just leave you to go on this endless cycle of streams going into the sea and then going back to where they started, a God who is not distant or a God who tells you that you have to accomplish something or you have to find your ultimate satisfaction. That is not who God is. My hope and my prayer for each and every person here is that as you go from here, that you would simply be reminded that we are not alone, that this world is not all there is, and that there is a God who loves you to no end. Do not worship the created things when there is a far greater creator out there who is worthy uh, and deserves all the worship you could possibly give. That's my hope and my prayer for you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for all the things that you have given us. We thank you that, that this world is as amazing as it is. We thank you for, for the streams. We thank you for the mountains. We thank you for the food that we get to eat and the drinks we get to have and the, just the amazingness uh, of creation. We thank you for all of it. But God, we also understand that that in and of itself, it is nothing compared to you. It is nothing compared to your glory, compared to your uh, wisdom, to your power, and to the ultimate satisfaction that you bring. 
my hope and my prayer for everyone here is that they, unlike me, who is, is still kind of afraid of, of reaching the end of my life and feeling like I wasted it, God, that you would bring just reassurance in those situations. God, that you would speak to each and every one of us. And that when the time comes and when the decision is to be made or when the opportunity presents itself, God, that we would follow you wholeheartedly. That we would run after you, that we would turn aside from the things of this world and pursue you with everything we have. Thank you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. I want to say again, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. And a little treat we have after the service is we have root beer floats uh, with dad's root beer uh, out by the coffee shop. Go help yourself. Um, and a little sneak preview of one of the conclusions that Ecclesiastes draws is it, it says, what do we do in these cycles of meaninglessness? What do we do if all of these things we pursue uh, tend to be nothing in the end? And one of the things the author says is, Enjoy the gifts that God has given you today. And so my hope and prayer for the dads today, at least, is that you would go and enjoy the rest of the day and go and enjoy uh, those root beer floats. But for the rest of you all here uh, and for the general benediction, would you all stand uh, as, we, as we do it? If there's one thing you remember about this, not just to watch the movie Soul, but if there's one thing you remember about what I said, it's this, that this world is not all there is, that what we see and what we feel and what we touch is not all there is, but it points to something greater. It points to someone greater. And so my hope and my prayer for each and every one of you is that you would go out and experience the love of God, that you would see God in all that is around you and that your hearts would turn towards him. Grace and peace. Amen.